And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order, you know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, we'll take a sinister train ride and hear a terrific sci-fi story on the mysterious Traveler from 1950. Then, Eve Arden stars as English teacher Connie Brooks on part one of a comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks from 1949. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Vivacious What's Lisa? What's up, Carl? I'm doing well. Good, me too. Yeah, do you like these uh, scary stories we're airing? Uh, well, I like some of them more than others, but yeah. I do like Our Miss Brooks. That's right, you like Eve Arden. I uh, do. We'll have that a little later in the show. But right now, it's time for The Mysterious Traveler. This was a mystery series that came to radio in 1943. It was created, written, produced, and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Kogan. It was heard on Mutual, and Maurice Tarplin was the sinister man on the train that told these eerie tales. He invited us to join him on another journey into the strange and terrifying each week. Now, New York's best supporting players, Jackson Beck, Lawson Zerby, Elspick, Eric, Louis Van Ruten, Mason Adams, all appeared on The Mysterious Traveler. We have an episode now going back to a broadcast date of April 11, 1950. This is called Operation Tomorrow. It stars Maurice Tarplin, part one of The Mysterious Traveler. The Mysterious Traveler. Written, produced, and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Cogan. And starring tonight, two of radio's foremost actors, Leon Janney and Charlotte Holland, in Operation Tomorrow. This is the Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip. It will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can as we journey with a young scientist into the unknown future. It's a story I call Operation Tomorrow. My story begins in a scientific laboratory cut out of the solid rock many feet beneath New York City University. Amidst a maze of electronic apparatus, Professor Wilbur Malcolm, a middle-aged pipe-smoking man, is making methodical tests, aided by his new assistant, Fred Andrews. The main output coils seem to be working the way they should. You ready at the meters, Fred? Yes, Professor. But I wish I knew what we were doing. You will in a few seconds, my boy. Now, wind up that alarm clock and put it here on this lead table in the center of the magnetic field. This old alarm clock? Yes. There. All right, it's in the magnetic field. Now what? Now I'm going to turn on the current. You give me the readings as we go along. Right, sir. Here we go. Readings, please. 
1,000 volts positive main output tube. 1,500. 2,000. 3. 4. 5. 6. 7. 8,000. 9. 10,000. All right. We've reached critical voltage. Now watch the clock closely, Fred. The clock? Yes, sir. Why, it's getting a little hazy. Hard to see. Now it's transparent, as if it were made of glass. What is this, Professor? Patience, my boy. Watch and observe. That's the scientist's motto. Well, the tick is getting fainter. Fading out. The clock is disappearing. Professor, the clock has vanished. So it has. Gone completely. But... But where? Don't tell me you've discovered the secret of invisibility. Oh, something bigger than that, Fred. But watch now. I'm going to cut off the alpha tubes. Now I'll cut in the beta tubes. That will give us a negative charge and reverse the magnetic field. Ready, Fred? Yes, sir. Here we go. Readings, please. 2,000 volts negative. 3,000 negative. 4,000. 5. 6. 7. 8. 9. 10,000 volts negative. Good. I'm holding the field at 10,000. Now watch where the clock was. I'm watching, sir. Good Lord, I, I see a, a ghost of a clock there. Just a misty outline. Now it's becoming clearer and clearer. It's transparent. Now it's almost solid. Why, I can hear it ticking again. And there it's back. Oh. Yes, Fred. The clock is back. And as you can hear, still in good working order. But where was it? Where did it go? Where did it go? It went into the future. Into the future? Yes, my boy. That clock has just penetrated approximately one year into the future. You've witnessed the first demonstration of something that up to now has always been considered a fantastic dream. Time travel. Good Lord. Ah, that's enough for today. You're coming home with me, Fred, while I tell you my plans. How did you stumble onto this time travel effect, sir? Well, it came about almost by sheer accident. My main purpose, which is a top-secret operation, is to develop electronic controls for atomic spaceships. You mean they've been developed? Oh, no, not yet. But it shouldn't be long now. Science is making incredibly rapid advances. And sometimes it worries me. When you travel so fast, there's danger of a collision. Yes, I know. We're all of us worried that the world is headed for a gigantic disaster, but there doesn't seem to be anything we can do about it. Perhaps there is. That's what I've been working around to tell you, Fred. What, Professor Malcolm? Well, this time travel effect that I stumbled on accidentally, I've kept it a secret. You're the only person besides myself to know about it. I'm very flattered, sir. I know I can trust you. And I need your help. I'm not sure we're really ready for time travel. As we were just saying, we're going so fast now, so many new discoveries that we don't know how to handle for the world's good. I hesitate to add one more to the list. I think I understand. But on the other hand, maybe it can be used for mankind's benefit. I have a wild scheme, Fred. Very unscientific. And yet... What is it, Professor? Well, it's this. I propose to send you in a little jaunt into the future. Into the future? Yes. 
I want you to bring back information. I want to find out what's in store for us mortals of the 20th century, Fred. If it's bad, war perhaps, just knowing about it in advance may make it possible to prevent it. Do you follow me? It would be like knowing in advance about a train wreck and then seeing that it doesn't happen. I knew you'd understand. That's why I sent for you. As soon as we've completed our tests, I propose to send you through time 100 years into the future. For days and weeks, Fred Andrews and Professor Malcolm experimented until they were sure it would be possible to send a human being into the future and bring him back safely. At last, they were ready for the big test, for the actual transmission of Fred himself through time. Professor, I'm all ready. Why are you hesitating? Well, Fred, as we've been working, suspicion has been growing in my mind. What suspicion, sir? I don't think this is going to work. Professor, we've sent dozens of objects into the future and brought them back. Even live animals, cats, dogs. Yes, but we've never brought back an object from the future itself. I mean, one we didn't send there. No, that's true, I wonder if... Well, no matter, we'll see. Now remember, gather all the information you can and get back to this spot six hours from now. I'll activate the return field then and bring you back to 1950. Yes, sir, I'll do my best. I guess that's all. Good luck, my boy. Thank you, sir. 5,000 volts positive... 6,000 volts. How do you feel? I feel fine, Professor. 8,000 volts. Nine. 10,000. Critical voltage. You're beginning to move forward into time. You're getting transparent now. Can you hear me? Yes, Professor Malcolm. I can hear you. But you sound very far away. I can't see you any longer. I seem to be in the middle of a fog or mist. Now I'm just surrounded by blackness. I can't hear or see anything. He's gone. Pray heaven he comes back safely. For a long moment, Fred Andrews felt as if he was spinning dizzily through empty darkness. Then the feeling passed, and he cautiously opened his eyes to find himself standing in an empty room, the laboratory which he had just left a hundred years ago. Unsteadily, he crossed the room and, with difficulty, opened the door. Then he gasped. Outside was a maze of corridors and stairways, brilliantly lighted as if a whole city had been carved out of the rock of Manhattan Island. As he stood there, someone came walking swiftly past him, an attractive girl in full military uniform. I, uh... I, I, I beg your pardon. Yes? But uh, can, can you What are you doing me... here? Uh, this section is forbidden to civilians. Forbidden to civilians? I, I I don't get it. How did you get past the guards? Where are your identification papers? I don't... No, 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 wait a minute. Since when does an American citizen have to carry identification papers? Ever since the war started, as huh? you know quite well. Put up your hands. A gun? No, 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 look, miss. You, you don't have to threaten me. I'm harmless. Stand still. I want to see if you're carrying a weapon. Well, satisfied? The only weapon I have is a fountain pen. What's your name? Frederick Andrews, Ph.D. Your draft card, please. Draft card? Look, what's all this about? War, draft card, identification papers. All these tunnels that have been dug down here. I, uh, I'm a stranger here. I don't know what you're up to, 
But no one can be that ignorant. You're coming along with me to see Colonel Phillips. Colonel Phillips? He's the security officer for this sector. And I certainly hope you have a good story to tell him. So your story, Mr. Andrews, is that you've come here from the year 1950. You must realize it's a very unconvincing tale. Completely unconvincing, in my opinion, Colonel. Well, it's the only story I have. I was born in 1923. And in 1950, Professor Wilbur Malcolm of City University sent me into the future. Now I'm here and, uh, oh, I-, I forgot to ask the date. It's April 10th, 2050. Exactly 100 years. Professor Malcolm's calculations were accurate to almost the minute. Colonel, in my opinion, this man is a very clever spy. Spy? But well, look at that stuff you took from my pockets. The, the, the notebook, fountain pen, my driver's license, dated 1950. Those coins and bills, the, the cigarettes. Surely they convince you I came from a hundred years ago. I think we can settle the question, Mr. Andrews. Our technical department can tell whether this currency is genuine and approximately how old it is. Lieutenant French. Yes, sir. Send all these things by pneumatic tube to the technical department. Ask them for an immediate report. I'll have a report for you in half an hour. When the report comes, Mr. Andrews, I'll know how to handle your case. If you are a spy, you know the penalty. Well, I'm not worried, Colonel. Now, may I ask a few questions? Are you at war? We are indeed at war. And these miles of tunnels I saw... Carved out of the solid rock. This city has retreated underground, Mr. Andrews. No one lives on the surface now. Good Lord. How long has the war been going on? We've been at war, Mr. Andrews. Off and on, of course, with periods in between in which both sides have rested up for 95 years. Well, a visitor at last. Hello, Lieutenant French. I'm sorry, Mr. Andrews, that we had to keep you locked up until you were cleared. Does that mean you believe my story now? Technical division says your story is true. I'm free now? Uh, Well, not exactly, Mr. Andrews. This is a military sector, and you're a civilian. But I am to be your guide for the time being. Good. Then, uh, suppose I call you Emily, and you call me Fred. hmm? All right, Fred. There's a great deal I want to see and learn before I go back to 1950. Go back? Hmm. You mean you can return? Of course. Professor Malcolm will turn on his gadgets to bring me back at four o'clock. That's only three hours. I'll have to report this to Colonel Phillips. Um, after I've reported, uh, what would you like to do? I'm anxious to see what's going on. And I'd like to collect a number of books with the latest scientific and historical data to take back with me. Yes, all right. I'll phone the Colonel. Then I'll show you around. Fred, here's the plotting room for the flying bomb attack. Good Lord, it's as big as a theater. And it's dark. What's that big board with lights on it? That's the chart board which records every flying bomb within a thousand miles of American territory. Self-guided missile entering detection net over Greenland. General course south, southwest. I have it plotted. Send up interceptor rockets when it reaches zone four. Yes, sir. Rockets 34 and 35 successfully intercepted at Defense Zone 4. Now, you see, Fred, two lights just went out. That means we sent up destroyer rockets, which brought the bomb down. Rocket bombs 29 and 31 have eluded interception at Zone 3. Interception salvo at Zone 2. 
If they penetrate, use interceptor L-100 at zone one. L-100 is our new top secret interceptor, Fred. Hardly anyone knows how it works, but it never fails. Four more lights went out then. Mm-hmm, and here comes the report. Last four rockets successfully intercepted. Roger. Well, Fred, what do you think of modern Rocket warfare? Rocket 25 oh, has penetrated zone it's two. Horrifying. Interceptor and L-100 everybody is being here launched now. Seems to take it so calmly. <laughs> You can't get excited when a thing has lasted for almost a hundred years on and off. That light. Hmm? Number 25. It's still on and moving. But it should have been destroyed by now. Do you suppose... Rocket number 25 has eluded interceptor attack by L-100. It has, but it can't have. Report on 25, please. Detection base 103 reports number 25, apparently new type rocket... Non-metallic construction, able to baffle sighting mechanism of L-100. Order technical crew to search for fragments after the hit. Send general warning to eastern seaboard area. Uh, give plotted strike prediction. Very good, sir. All personnel in eastern district. All personnel. Bomb strike due in ten seconds. Battery area. Bomb strike due in five seconds. Four seconds. Bomb strike due in three seconds. Two seconds. One second. All personnel. Bomb strike. Over. All right, Fred. I'll take you to the viewing room next. You can see for yourself what this city looks like in the year 2050. Lieutenant French, reporting back with Mr. Andrews, sir. Very good, Lieutenant. Well, Mr. Andrews, have a good look around. Uh, yes, sir. I saw the city through the television viewing screens. Not quite the city you left, is it? it it's unbelievable. Just acres of twisted steel and fallen stone. The skeletons of giant buildings lying across one another. Rusting. It's like the end of the world. Not quite. Perhaps not even the end of civilization. Man is an adaptable creature. Hmm. But are we winning, sir? Nobody wins a war anymore, Mr. Andrews. We're holding our own, and we hope when the end comes, there will be peace on Earth forever. But how did it start, sir? We were trying so hard to prevent war back in 1950. In fact, one reason for my trip into time was to get information that might help us keep war from breaking out. Lieutenant French, why didn't we think of that? Think of what, sir? If the world of 1950 knows the truth, maybe it won't happen. Either they can prevent the accident that started all this back in 1955, or at least they'll know the truth when it does happen. Of course, sir. Mr. Andrews can take the true story back with him. What story? I, I don't follow you. Fred, you asked how the war started. Yes. It started because of an accident... And an over-jittery world. Yes, my boy, a horrible irony. Fred, now listen. During the 1950s, the government established a special experimental base in the heart of the Arizona desert, in a little town called Red Rock. Red Rock, Arizona? Yes, that's right. The first space rocket was put into production there, and work was pushed on the problem of fuel. During the course of experiments, an explosion occurred late in 1955. It was a terrific blast. Wiped out the whole base. The first reports were sabotaged, that the enemy had blown up the base because they were afraid we were on the verge of getting space flight. Before the truth became known, our newspaper screamed for retaliation. The enemy became panicky and decided to strike first. And phase one of the war was on. When we discovered the blast was really an accident, 
It was too late to stop. That's horrible, sir. War, because everybody was just too jittery. But it doesn't have to be. Don't you see, if you take back the true story before it happens, it won't have to happen. Now, look, I've assembled a dozen books for you. The information in them will enable your scientists to prevent that blast at Red Rock Base. Now, Fred, you, you've got to get the facts back to them. You've just got to. I will. Believe me, Professor Malcolm and I will see to it this war doesn't start in our time. Good. Now, come along. You've only five minutes more. That's the first half of The Mysterious Traveler. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to the mysterious traveler. This is the exact spot where I was lying when I came through the time dimension, Colonel Phillips. You've only 30 seconds more, Andrews. Remember, impress the lesson of the accident at Red Rock on the world. These books, hold them close to you so they'll go back with you. Yes, sir. I've got a good grip on them. Fred. Yes, Emily. Uh, just good luck. Thanks. Maybe I'll pay another trip to 2050. I hope so. It's 1600. And Professor Malcolm is on time. Look, Colonel. He's getting transparent. He's disappearing. Goodbye, Emily. I guess this is it. Hope to see you again sometime. But, sir, the books, they aren't disappearing. They're just as solid as ever. Fred! Fred! What? I, I can hardly hear you. Everything's gray and misty. Are you still there? Emily, are you still there? The books, Fred! Andrews, you're going back with the books! They're staying here! He's appearing. He's returning. Thank heaven he's safe. Fred. Fred, my boy. Fred. What's the matter? You're staring at me as if you didn't know me. Here, Fred, let me help you up. It's I, Professor Malcolm. Professor Malcolm? Yes. Don't tell me you don't remember. Professor Malcolm? Yes, yes, Fred. What's the matter? Oh, my, my head feels so funny. I can't seem to remember 
who you are or what's happened to me. What am I doing here? Well, Fred, how are you? Oh, Professor Malcolm, it's good to see you, sir. I can't tell you how I've been blaming myself ever since the experiment. Oh, nonsense. I haven't suffered any harm. Just a blank place in my mind. I can't understand it. Do you suppose the experiment failed? You were gone for six hours. Somewhere. That's all I know, Fred. If you did get to 2050, Fred... Yes, sir? Well, I have a theory that though we can move from past to future, it's impossible for anything belonging in the future to move to the past. The structure of time itself prevents that. I see. So if you did try to bring back any books or papers, they stayed behind. Mm, You must be right. You can't remember because nothing that you didn't take with you could come back with you even including sensory impressions on your brain cells. The very act of returning wiped out your memories. Maybe if I went again, we could find some way around the problem. There must be some way, sir. No, Fred. I'm dropping the whole subject for the time being. I've been transferred to a new assignment, and you're coming with me. Well, what is the assignment, sir? All spaceship research is being concentrated at the new base now being developed. You and I are going out there to help develop a fuel... And we'll take a rocket to the moon. I see. Where is the base, Professor Malcolm? Oh, someplace in the West. I believe they call it Red Rock, Arizona. Red Rock? The name seems awfully familiar to me. I wonder why. This is the mysterious traveler. Well, time travel doesn't seem to be all it's been painted. Especially if you can't remember what's happened when you get back. You aren't worried about the future, are you? You know that tonight's story couldn't possibly happen. Or could it? Oh, you have to get off now. I'm sorry. But I'm sure we'll meet again. I take this same train every week at this same time. And that's The Mysterious Traveler from April 11, 1950, with Operation Tomorrow, starring Maurice Tarplin. Also in that cast, Leon Janney, Charlotte Holland, and Ralph Bell, with Derwood Kirby. There's a name for you, Derwood Kirby. You don't hear the name Derwood anymore. No, but I do know many kids with the name Kirby right now. Oh, Kirby is a first name, yeah. Yep. That was sponsored by Ford. You know, the Mysterious Traveler very seldom had a sponsor on it. It was mostly sustained by the network, but that had some Ford commercials in it, as heard on Mutual. In just a moment, it's our Miss Brooks, but I want to remind all of our listeners about Remind Magazine. And look, I have the newest issue. I have the October issue here, Mike. Check it out. Look who's on the cover. It looks like um, one of Lisa's relatives. The creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, I grew up with Creature Feature. Yeah, you're kind of green <laughs> like uh, like him. A little greenish around the edges. Yeah, it's all about monsters because it's the Halloween issue. And uh, you know what? Every kind of monster movie you can think of is talked about in this uh, in this issue. And I wrote 
about my having dinner with Hyman Brown, who created Inner Sanctum. And we talk about Inner Sanctum. We talk about the CBS Radio Mystery Theater and uh, how fun it was to have dinner with Hyman Brown years ago in New York. So that's my article this month. If you want to check out this magazine, go to their website, remindmagazine.com. That's remindmagazine.com. Or if you want to pick up an issue... At Newsstand, you can uh, check it out at any Barnes & Noble or any Walmart store. It's a great magazine. It's all about nostalgia. We just love Remind Magazine here. Mike gets, uh, gets a copy. I get a copy. Lisa gets a copy. And you should get a copy, too. RemindMagazine.com. All right. It's time for our Miss Brooks. Let's go back to August 14, 1949. Eve Arden stars here as part one of our Miss Brooks. Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Although there aren't too many tests during the summer school session, Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High Summer School, had to prepare a final exam last week. That's why Friday morning found me in the breakfast nook bright and early with my landlady, Mrs. Davis. Well, I was early anyway. Sit right down, Connie. Your cereal is all ready to eat. So I see. It's even got milk in it. Yes, I've been soaking your crunchies for almost an hour. <laughs> Why, Mrs. Davis? You've been tense enough lately without having your cereal snap at you. <laughs> oh, that's very considerate. I have been a little edgy the past few days. I guess it's because of that final English test I've been working on. Well, I certainly hope you pass it, Connie. Pass it. <laughs> I'm giving it, Mrs. Davis. I teach English at Madison, you remember. Oh, forgive me, Connie. You see, to me, you're still just a kid. To me, too. <laughs> Happy little minority, aren't we? <laughs> I've got the test finished to my satisfaction. Now, if our beloved principal likes it, everything's okay. How's Mr. Conklin been lately? His uh, temper, I mean. Well, for the past week, he's been only semi-apoplectic. <laughs> Honestly, he's so autocratic sometimes, I just... Oh, that must be Walter Denton. I'll get it. It's pretty early for Walter, isn't it? He's been getting up on time lately to hear a new swing program. Some disc jockey called Out of the World Oscar. <laughs> Excuse me, Mrs. Davis. Hold on to your beanie, Jazz Mad. I'm coming. Good morning, Miss Brooks. Mr. Conklin. Oh, come in, sir. I, uh, may I, uh... uh may you take my beanie? <laughs> no, Miss Brooks. I don't want the propellers dented. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Conklin. I thought it was Walter Denton at the door. Please, Miss Brooks, don't mention that name. Sorry. I was just finishing breakfast, Mr. Conklin. Would you care for a cup of coffee or something? I could do with the cup, thank you, Miss Brooks. Come on into the dinette. Mrs. Davis will be surprised to see you, Mr. Conklin. You haven't stopped by in quite a while. Mrs. Davis, look who's here. Well, Osgood Conklin. Good morning, Margaret. Mr. Conklin says he could do with a cup of coffee, Mrs. Davis. I'll heat some up in a jiffy. Just make yourself comfortable, Osgood. How about a slice of toast with your coffee? I could do with a slice of toast, yes. Do some toast while you're doing the coffee, Mrs. Dubis. Uh, Davis. <laughs> Sit down right here, Mr. Conklin. Thank you. Miss Brooks, this is not to be construed as a social call. I was on my way to the engravers, which is just a few blocks from here, and decided to kill two birds with one stone. Mrs. Davis and me? <laughs> 
very amusing. <laughs> uh, Miss Brooks, you've probably forgotten that this is the time of year when some fortunate student receives the highest honor summer school has to offer. The coveted silver loving cup so thoughtfully provided by Madison's founder, Yoda Critch. <laughs> It is getting pretty close to Critch time, isn't it? This, this award, affording added incentive to all summer school students, has always been presented to that pupil who exhibits superior aptitude in mastering that glorious linguistic infant, that heterogeneous hybrid of sundry tongues, the English language. Now then, Miss Brooks, do you recognize my problem? Of course. How to get those words on a cup without having most of them slop over into the saucer. <laughs> That is only part of the difficulty. Before taking any action, however, I want you, as the teacher who will be giving the examination, to have a full say in all decisions concerning the award. Well, thank you, Mr. Conklin. That's very... Since brevity is sorely needed here, I have been casting about for the one word that would sum up the essence of this prize. How about... Then, too, instead of giving a test with merely straight questions, I thought I'd consult with you about the possibility of having a brief composition form a part of it. Well, that's... A composition that could be judged, <laughs> along with the other questions, of course, not only on neatness and penmanship, but also originality of basic thought, clever phraseology, and so forth. That seems... The word which embodies those qualities <laughs> of which we chatted earlier seems to me to be the correct one to place upon the cup. However, before going to the engravers, I made up my mind to do nothing without your go-ahead, Miss Brooks. Well, After I... all, it's only fair <laughs> that you can have a hand in it. Now, it seems to me, pending your approval, naturally... Natch, I got that in. <laughs> it seems that the word unique most closely typifies what we're after. Unique means unmatched, without an equal, unlike anything else. So, Miss Brooks, how about having the inscription read, The Yoda Critch Award for Unique Achievement in English? I knew you'd like it. <laughs> Then the matter is closed. Here's your toast and coffee, Osgood. Oh, thank you. Well, we certainly accomplished a lot while you were in the kitchen, Margaret. Yes, indeed. Just shows you what can be done when Mr. Conklin and I put his head together. <laughs> yes, yes, it's teamwork that counts, a spirit of cooperation. Oh, that must be Walter now. Excuse me. Greetings, old fairest of all possible English teachers. Good morning, most observant of all possible pupils. Come in. You see before you a bearer of cheerful tidings. You are hereby invited to a party tonight. Thanks, Walter. I have some tidings for you, too. Come on into the dinette. Okay, Miss Brooks. I just called Harriet Conklin to invite her to the party, and she told me her father was really on the war path this morning. He couldn't find one of his socks or something. Uh, not now, Walter. <laughs> I'll bet old Grouch Puss really blew his cork. <laughs> I can just see him stomping around giving orders. Get me this, get me that. You do this, you do that. Good morning, Denton. Hi, Mr. Conklin. I was just telling Miss Brooks about old Grouch. <laughs> Stop trying to crawl into my coffee cup, Walter. You're making waves. <laughs> Can I get you something, Walter? A cup of coffee, a glass of milk. Shot of arsenic. <laughs> I'll be running along now. But what about your toast, Osgood? Aren't you going to eat it? I seem to have lost my appetite. 
I'll see you to the door, Mr. Conklin. No, don't bother. I'll let myself out, Miss Brooks. Goodbye, Osgood. Goodbye, Margaret. Goodbye, Mr. Conklin. Sir? Yes. <laughs> and to think I wanted a boy. Gosh, Miss Brooks, do you think Mr. Conklin knew I was talking about him? Of course not, Walter. He probably thought we were chatting about the weather. The weather? Yes, everybody knows it's been grouch puss out all week. <laughs> now have a glass of milk and forget about Mr. Conklin. What kind of a party is this tonight? Oh, my pal Stretch Snodgrass is throwing it. It's a barbecue in back of his father's pet shop. And they're having several of the teachers. The more tender ones, I hope. <laughs> Uh, it's a very romantic spot, Miss Brooks, and we've taken the liberty of inviting Mr. Boynton. Oh, you have? Sure. We got it all figured out. The moon rises at exactly 7.20 p.m. At 7.21, you and Mr. Boynton will sneak through an ivy-covered archway and stretch his backyard. When you get through the archway, you come to a cute little bird bath. And guess what's in the bird bath? A dirty owl. <laughs> No, it's a pair of Mr. Snodgrass's prized lovebirds. Now, what do you think Mr. Boynton will do when he sees those lovebirds in the bird bath? If I know Mr. Boynton, he'll close his eyes and hand them a towel. <laughs> no, no, he won't. Now, he'll watch the lovebirds and see what they're doing. Now, what do you suppose they are doing? What? They're rubbing their beaks together. And why do you suppose they're rubbing their beaks together? They're trying to set fire to a Boy Scout? <laughs> No, certainly not, Miss Brooks. It's their way of making love. And with Mr. Boynton standing right there with you, well, you know the old expression, monkey see, monkey do. Monkey see, monkey do? Sure. Well, don't just sit there. Hand me a banana and let's get going. <laughs> a few minutes before it was time for my first class, so I decided to give Mr. Boynton an opportunity to invite me personally to Stretcher's Barbecue. As I entered the biology laboratory, Mr. Boynton was seated at his desk. Oh, excuse me for not rising, Miss Brooks, but I've got McDougal in my lap. McDougal? Oh, your pet frog. Hi, Mac. <laughs> I'll, I'll put him back in his cage now. I'm trying an experiment with Mac. I put a female frog in the cage with him. Well, here you go, Mac. Back with Emmeline. <laughs> he, uh, doesn't seem to like her very much so far. Funny thing about Mac, he's never paid much attention to members of the opposite sex. Like father, like son, from the picture Monkey See, Monkey Do. <laughs> oh, you'll get used to her, Mac. Now, now, be nice and quiet while I chat with Miss Brooks. <laughs> We don't have too much time to chat, Mr. Boynton, so I'd better get right down to beating around the bush. <laughs> have you made any plans for after school? Well, yes, I have, Miss Brooks. This afternoon, I've got a heavy date. Oh? Oh, it's with my little nephew. He's just four years old, and I'm taking him to his first movie. Oh, sounds like fun. What picture are you taking him to see? Paulette Goddard and Anna LaCosta. fellow should love that if he doesn't swallow his bubble gum. <laughs> what about the evening, Mr. Boynton? Well, I've been invited to a party, Miss Brooks. A barbecue? That's right. It's Stretch Nodgrass's place. Oh, I've been invited to that party, too, Mr. Boynton. Really? Good. Yes. 
Now that you've been invited and I've been invited, there's only one more invitation necessary. One more? Oh, you want to bring somebody? No, Mr. Boynton. I want somebody to bring me. You do? Who do you want to bring you, Miss Brooks? <laughs> Who do I want to bring me what? What? Oh, skip it, Mr. Boynton. I've got to get into my first class now. I'm giving my final exam at 11 o'clock. Oh, just a minute, Miss Brooks. If, if you weren't kidding about wanting somebody to take you to the party, how about going with me tonight? I'm sorry, Mr. Boynton. I couldn't possibly. Why not? I'm going with you. <laughs> that ought to confuse him nicely. Enchanted evening. Oh, 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 excuse me, Miss Brooks. I didn't notice that you weren't looking where you were going. <laughs> That's all right, Stretch. I have a very forgiving nature. How's Madison Star Athlete feeling this lovely, sunny, pre-barbecue day? Well, physically I feel okay, Miss Brooks, but mentally... Say no more, Stretch. <laughs> your English teacher for lo these many years, I'm well aware of your scholastic deficiencies. But let's not talk shop. How are plans coming along for the party tonight? Well, that's what I feel so punk about, Miss Brooks. I'm afraid there ain't going to be no party. Please, Stretch, there isn't going to be any party. You know about it already, huh? <laughs> know about what, Stretch? I guess Walter told you what my old man, my father, said this morning. No, he didn't. Well, my old man said, my father said that he's sick and tired of me not getting nowhere in my studies. And that all parties was out for the entire whole summer. Unless I won this here Yodar Critch Award for English. That sentence should win an award by itself. <laughs> but, Stretch, do I understand that your old man, uh, your father, <laughs> means that if you don't win the cup today, the barbecue is canceled? That's right. Then I'll have to disinvite all the people I invited. <laughs> Gee, I'd hate to do that, Miss Brooks. I'd hate to have you do it, Stretch. Tell me the truth. Have you studied for this test at all? Oh, sure I have. I always study for everything. And for this English test, I study even harder than I ever done. Something done told me the barbecue is cooked. <laughs> Look, Stretch, there's still a few hours before the exam. Maybe you could get somebody to coach you. I thought of that, Miss Brooks. I was just going to ask Walter Denton to help me. Walter Denton? Sure. He's much smarter than me. Gosh, on the final exams in our regular term, he beat me by 20 points. Yes, I know. What a mark he got. Boy... Twenty-nine. Well, it shows you what some last-minute cramming can do. But I don't think Walter's the ideal tutor for you, Stretch. Now, if Harriet Conklin would give you some pointers, you'd be... Wait a minute. Isn't that the happy couple going into my class? Sure, those are them. Hey, Walter, wait up. Hi, Stretch. Hello, Miss Brooks. Stretch. Hi, how are you two? Stretch. How are you two? We're okay, thanks. Miss <laughs> Brooks was just saying that if somebody coaches me a while, maybe I got a chance to get the cup after all. I didn't put it quite that way, but... Gee, uh... it's certainly worth a try. Oh, I'd be willing to do whatever I could to help stretch out. Say, that reminds me, Miss Brooks. Daddy wants you to pick up the cup and display it in your classroom this morning. It's in the custodian's office right now. Mr. Jensen? All right, Harriet, I'll get it. Meanwhile, you tell my class to take a study period. Then you kids can take Stretch into one of these empty rooms and drill whatever you can into him. Okay, Miss Brooks. And who knows, as the moon rises over Stretch's barbecue pit tonight, you and Mr. Boynton may yet be plighting your troughs beneath the bird bath. I hope so, Walter. I'd hate to think I honed my beak for nothing. <laughs> 
That's the first portion of Our Miss Brooks. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next time, it's the conclusion to our Miss Brooks from 1949, starring Eve Arden. Then we'll tune into The Weird Circle, a creepy story by Wilkie Collins. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.